Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ESNY. just a little after 7 o'clock, continuing with our NBA A through Z series, rolling as always with Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on, man? How you doing on this Monday? Good, man. How are you? Doing pretty good as we were talking a little bit offline. Uh, Do not have my cell phone on me right now, so I'm just acting like uh, I feel like I'm on withdrawal right now. I have no idea what to do with myself, but that's, uh, that's the tech age, but... Um, as we were saying before, continuing with the NBA A through Z series, um, at this point we are not going in order, alphabetical order that we are trying to uh, stick with, um, but we are very pumped to talk about the Denver Nuggets tonight, a team that has made some very big strides, um, a very strong organization, player development, um, two, two budding stars in Nikola Jokic. And Jamal Murray uh, had very, very strong playoff postseason performances. To help us discuss and break down all of that, we have Harrison Wind. Um, Harrison, what's going on? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. As somebody with a last name that starts with W, I've never been a fan of going in alphabetical order either. So I'm I'm good with that. (laughs) That sounds good. Um, So helping us break down the Denver Nuggets season, I, I think, you know, one place to start is just on the magical postseason run. Um, I think first thoughts from you, just in terms of everything postseason related, uh, it had to be pretty exciting to cover the team and and just kind of see everything that was going on. So what are just your first thoughts postseason? Yeah, I mean, it was a thrill of a lifetime, I think, to cover two 3-1 comebacks. And uh, for a team that I don't think anybody really pegged as being able to get to the Western Conference Finals, And it was such a surprising run, not because I didn't think the Nuggets were talented enough. Like, I've been as high on Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and this roster as anybody uh, over the last couple of years. I feel like being in Denver, being around the team helps with that. But I've always believed in them. But then it was also the fact that when they got inside the bubble, like, things could not have started worse for them. They only had, like, eight guys down there originally. Uh, Like, coronavirus just tore through the team they had to close down their practice facility early when uh, everybody got able to open theirs up kind of right before teams flew down to Orlando uh, Nikola Jokic had coronavirus a bunch of other guys on this team did Will Barton like their third best player throughout the regular season didn't even play in the restart throughout the playoffs Gary Harris didn't get back until game six uh, against Utah another starter so They had like everything stacked against them. And it's kind of one of the themes with this team, but they're just a bunch of underdogs. A lot of these guys have been counted out in their careers before. So the fact that they were able to go on the run um, from where they started when they entered the bubble, like to where they finished was just a a stunning turnaround. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you talked about that underdog theme. And this next question kind of touches on that. Uh, I was really surprised, not 100%, because I, I do remember some of the scores, especially some of their losses being a little bit more lopsided. But uh, I was a little surprised to hear that the Nuggets made it to the conference final with a negative net rating uh, on the back of not one, but two come-from-behind series wins. Both were 3-1 deficits. Um, a key contributor, obviously, to any of the Nuggets' postseason success, as well as their regular season success, was Nikola Jokic. Uh, over the postseason, he averaged over 24 points per game, shooting 51% from the field, 
42% from three, which is like just absolutely ridiculous. And on five, yeah. over five attempts, it wasn't a small sample size. Just under 10 rebounds, a little over 5.7 uh, assists. Uh, clearly, this was his uh, coming out party in terms of his superstardom and, and maybe in the future uh, an MVP push. But from somebody who covered Jokic all season, what did he show you in the postseason that maybe you didn't know before? Um, well, the three-point shooting was big. He, he struggled with his shot these last two regular seasons, and he's picked it up in these last two playoffs. It was the same thing last year. He shot it around, I don't remember the exact percentage, probably like 32% from three during the regular season. He was back up around 40 during the playoffs. Same thing this time around. And it's funny because I asked him about his three-point shooting in the bubble, and um, he, he said that it wasn't about the environment. It wasn't about like the depth perception, or it felt like shooting in a practice gym, which a lot of guys talked about throughout the playoffs. But it was just the fact that he felt he was more focused in the playoffs and he just kind of put it bluntly and said, like, I'm my biggest enemy when it comes to my shooting. So I just think the, the focus was there for him in the playoffs more than anything. Um, a, a, a big thing that kind of happened with Jokic and one of the narratives that he was able to dispel was I, I feel like a lot of the conversation around him had been, you can't craft the championship defense around Nikola Jokic. Like, that's just uh, a narrative that had kind of developed uh, around this Nuggets team, around him over the last couple of years. And, uh, look, they played two elite playoff offenses in the first two rounds. The Jazz, who were a great playoff offense. Donovan Mitchell was playing out of his mind. That, that Utah team shot the ball like crazy. Um, like, for three and a half games, it looked like that narrative that you couldn't build a playoff defense around Jokic was going to hold up. But – he found his footing. Denver found something that worked defensively and kind of flipped the script on Utah. And then in the second round, how the Nuggets over the second half of that series just shut down that Clippers offense and really just limited and frustrated Kawhi Leonard. I don't think you can say that you can't build a championship-level defense around Nikola Jokic. Yeah, they still have to get there, but the fact that they were able to get past Utah – and the Clippers, two really good offenses. I, I think he showed a lot in that area. I agree. And Chris Herring wrote a great piece about on Jokic for uh, 538. And, and it, Jokic is like so honest. Like he says, I play uh, slow and patient because that's the only way I can. <laughs> and Herring makes like a great point in it. He's like, when uh, talking about Jokic, he's like, that's when Jokic is at his best, like when he's slowing the uh, other team down to his pace. It's like when Steve Nash was in Phoenix. It reminds me of the complete opposite there, when Steve Nash would just completely dominate the game and make the other team play at his pace. That's what Jokic does, obviously the complete opposite, but he just lulls the other team into a false sense of security. And he did such an amazing job of that against the Clippers. Like, they... They did a horrible job against him, obviously. We all saw, like, Montrez Harrell had no idea what he was doing there. But it was, I think Gobert did a, an okay, as good a, dob, a job as anyone can possibly do. But the Clippers just got smoked. Like, that, they got completely fooled and exposed by Jokic, really. But, yeah, he just does such a good job at controlling the game, and that's really what he does best. He's such an amazing passer. And to your point about people saying they couldn't, craft the championship defense I think one of the other and now looking back it's hilarious people used to say he was too passive that he wasn't uh aggressive enough and now what do we talk about all the time when we talk about him we talk about how great a passer he is and how how good he is when he's setting teammates up and yet he's obviously he's a really good scorer but he's again at his best when he's setting up for teammates and he's he's just so talented and I think he's officially with this run put to bed the who the best center in the NBA debate is. Even the most staunchest anti-analytics pro Embiid people in NBA Twitter have to concede to Jokic after this one. It was a very impressive run, and I mean he does what he does better than better than any big man not named AD in the NBA. I think like AD's fantastic, and I think Jokic is 
right with AD. I think it's one and two right there right now. I I put them right there. So, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. He's incredible. And uh, I feel so lucky to have just been able to watch him, not even just this year, but really over the last four years, you know, from, from where he started to, to where he is now, it's been an incredible come up. And uh, I, I like to compare him a lot to – he's like a computer kind of where his his uh, his mind works so quickly on the court. And he's got such an incredibly high basketball IQ that helps him make these reads and these passes. Um, but it's like he's got this incredible feel for where everyone is on the court. He doesn't even have to look at them. He doesn't even have to make eye contact. He's just got this – great conception of where everybody is at all times and yeah i mean i think he's not only the best passing big man i think he's the best passer in the league point blank the passes he makes on a nightly basis like just throughout the regular season are just ridiculous i think he could make even more ridiculous passes if michael malone would let him like i think he could actually get into some like and one mixtapes type type stuff if mike malone would let him um but he's a treat, man. He moves at his own pace, and uh, it's when he's at his best. And it's been just really cool to see uh, the rest of the league kind of get have their eyes open to this guy. I was going to ask um, where I, you know, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was Zoom at the time, but um, were you present or or at all when it became clear that he had lost a lot of weight, and and that was kind of you know, getting a lot of um, media play and whatnot. What was kind of like your first reaction when you saw that? Yeah, so that, I remember that news coming out when he had gone back over to Serbia and uh, he attended some exhibition game with uh, one of his former coaches and he he looked really skinny. Yeah, He was wearing the skinny jeans. He was wearing like a tight-fitted bomber. Like he, he looked slim. And the funny thing about it is, and obviously being in Denver, being around the team, being in the locker room, seeing him after every game, we had kind of been tracking this really since December, but he had been losing a lot of weight over the course of the season. And he was a lot closer to that weight that he was in those pictures that sent the internet on fire. He was pretty close to that weight right before the season shut down. But when, you know, when you're around him every day, like you just forget sometimes. So those pictures were obviously pretty jarring, but it's funny because he kind of recommitted himself to dropping the weight, to lifting after games, after every win or loss, he would go up to the locker room and then come back down and do his media, just drenched in sweat because he could be lifting. Uh, He got worked over by Anthony Davis in a December loss to the Lakers at home. And a lot of us around the team, we, we kind of, uh, we kind of speculate that that was the game that kind of put him in gear for the rest of the season and started uh, a, a huge weight loss, which which obviously was uh, encapsulated by those photos. Yeah, I uh, definitely pretty interesting for sure. I mean, I'm sure from a stamina um, point, it, it had to help, and it and it's something that like. Um, you know, Chip, Chip and I both work in education and, and I'm a school psychologist, so I work a lot with psychoeducational testing. And so there's always like a, this conversation of um, multiple intelligences and, and whatnot. And it's clear like what you talked about, his ability to conceptualize space around the court, like visual spatial awareness, his is like at an all time high. And I'm sure that even when NBA teams try and do certain testing for prospects coming out of college, there's some of that I'm sure that's there. I don't know, you know, for sure if it is, but I would have been interested to know um, what his score was if if you could have kind of predicted this in some way. Um, but one well, well, to, to that point though, to that point, what's interesting about Jokic is he's one of those guys that just like picks up on everything super quickly. Like every video game he plays, the Nuggets play uh like they mix it up at practice a lot of times and. They play this game called spike ball. I don't know if you guys have it out there where there's just kind of like a net in the middle and uh, it's like four players at a time and you're throwing the ball at the net and like volleying it back onto the net. But he was like the best on the team at spike ball, like his first time playing it. He's just the type of guy who picks up everything so quickly 
Hmm. Um, and obviously that translates onto the basketball floor. Like he sees one defensive coverage once and like that just gets lodged in the back of his head. At least that's how I take it. Yeah. He's like a savant with like a photographic memory. Like you you know what I mean? Like you probably mm-hmm. have to show him different coverages um, or else he'll just shred them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nuggets though, it's going to be very interesting how they build the team going forward and, and supporting Jokic and Jamal Murray, obviously. Um, what do you think is the next step for the Denver Nuggets? We've seen teams mostly in competition with LeBron or in the East or the Warriors in the West kind of swing for the fences with trades in order to kind of complete in the arms race of the postseason. The Rockets with CP3 and Russ, the 76ers with Jimmy Butler, Toronto with Kawhi. But the Nuggets have really been kind of like a model for building through the draft. Uh, Their two uh, best players are homegrown. Do you feel like that will change in the coming seasons? Um, And are there any names that you think, you know, Tim Connolly and the the front office might target? So the one name I think they'll try to target is Drew Holiday. And, I mean, he's going to be highly coveted. He's he's a great fit on a lot of teams out there. So there will be competition. Um, I think Denver will definitely try it for him this offseason. They tried for him the, the deadline. I think there was some traction to those talks. So that seems like it would be a good fit. But other than that, uh, I don't see big changes happening. Um, Frankly, because the Nuggets have gotten to this point by not really skipping steps and just trusting their process and building internally. Like you mentioned, this roster is almost all homegrown. Uh, They've really made one big free agent acquisition in this era in Paul Millsap. And, uh, you know, he's – like fit in super well. He, he has a lot of qualities that the homegrown guys on the Nuggets roster have, uh, like underdogs, former second rounders. Millsap fits into that group, so he's fit in really well. Um, I expect them, you know, unless they get Holiday, I, I, I expect them to run it back. And the bi- another big reason is because I think they still believe they have a lot of internal improvement coming, uh, mainly from Michael Porter Jr. And in my opinion – Next regular season is going to be all about Michael Porter Jr. and just getting him established as a starter, getting him established as the third banana behind Jokic and Jamal Murray. And he's the guy, in my opinion, that offers them like the clearest path to keep climbing in the West. Um, Drew Holiday maybe gets you there more immediately. And look, I think Nuggets could win the West with Drew Holiday. Um, I think they could win the West if Michael Porter Jr. kind of makes a leap next year as well. So, I think it's two two good options, uh, but if I had to predict one way or another that they go, I, I'd say they mostly run it back. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you feel like you need a third guy, or do you think that third guy's already on the roster? I think that's the biggest question on the Nuggets. Do you think like Michael Porter Jr. can propel them to a championship contender? I think a lot of people think that he can, so I guess you – kind of are leaning towards that way, do you think? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, it, it was funny because in the uh, in the eight seeding games before the playoffs, he looked incredible. Like, like he, he looked awesome. And uh, and then the playoffs, you know, look, it, it, it's a rookie in the playoffs. He, he's, he was getting targeted every single time down the floor. Uh, you know, the Jazz were switch, switching him out to Donovan Mitchell. The Clippers were switching him on to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Lakers were switching him on to LeBron. Like, that's just what happens to rookies in the playoffs. So he's got to get a lot better. But I do think the playoff experience is going to be really valuable for him going forward. I think he can be that guy. Um, I think, you know, if he plays like 30 minutes a game next year, 35 minutes a game, I think he can average 20 points next year. I do. Mm. Uh, So I definitely think he can be that guy. And the other thing that kind of goes under the radar with this Nuggets team when we're talking about a a third guy, Will Barton was this team's third best player during the regular season. Like, clearly their third best player. He didn't play at all in the playoffs. Uh, So he was sorely missed because it was really the Jokic-Murray two-man game. That was the Nuggets offense. And when that shut down, they were passing it off to a lot of streaky shooters. So they really needed that third option in these playoffs for sure. That is pretty wild when you think about it, that they did all of that without Will Barton. That's It makes it even more impressive and shows just how good uh, Murray was shooting the ball. <laughs> like, yeah. like, 
And I guess, well, I'm not sure off the top of my head what Grant's shooting numbers were. We'll talk about Grant at, at some point because his free agency obviously is huge for them. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, you forget that Will Barton didn't play and how good he is because I think when people talk about Will Barton, they the first thing to talk about is how he's a trade chip for Drew Holiday like we were just talking about because when I was Googling stuff for this interview, I think I, I Googled Denver Nuggets and the first thing that came up was three best fits for Drew Holiday. <laughs> <I'm not> even, <laughs> and then another Drew Holiday thing and another Drew Holiday thing. So that's, I don't, I think you're right about Drew Holiday. I don't think that's going away anytime soon, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just such a good fit. Uh, he's what teams covet, like a, a long guy who can play multiple positions, who's a great defender. Didn't Damian Lillard and Kevin Durant like call him one of the best defenders in the league um, yeah. earlier on, on a podcast a, a while back? But I mean, uh, and he's a high character guy too, so you want him in your locker room. Yeah, he's and yeah, he's one of the best defenders in the league. And if they struggle out in one area, it's defense. But like spe- talking about the Nuggets backcourt, then one guy I did want to bring up real quick is uh, Gary Harris because you guys did. Pay and I know Jeff wanted to talk about him too. You guys did pay him, and Jeff, he makes twenty million next year. You said it's right? going to be nineteen, and then twenty mil the the year after. Twenty mil the year after, and I know he's a guy who obviously he was banged up this year, and so he didn't contribute much in the playoffs. But so, what do you see as his future going forward? Because obviously he wasn't much of this part of this huge run because because of injuries and. He just wasn't featured. Yeah, the the tough part about Gary is he's uh like he's not even in his late twenties yet, and he's the Nuggets' longest tenured player. <laughs> like wow. he's uh he him and Will Barton are the only guys on this team to precede Michael Malone, and Gary's the longest tenured guy, and he's he's like a super respected veteran on this team, even though he's in his mid twenties, and uh, he's been huge. And you know, you go back. You go back uh, pretty much two years, and Gary Harris was the second best guy on this team to Nikola Jokic, clearly. Yeah. And that was when they gave him that extension, which was well deserved. And you know anybody would have given Gary Harris that extension. It was money well spent then. Um, but there's been a lot of injuries since. Uh, he's kind of lost a lot of different aspects of his offensive game. Uh, he hasn't been the same type of driver. He, he hasn't tried to finish at the rim. Uh, he has just hasn't been as confident with his uh, driving game as he was back then. Obviously, his shooting has fallen off big time as well. Um, so I, I think his status is kind of up in the air. <laughs> I hate to go back to Drew Holiday again, but he's probably the guy in that yeah. deal. Uh, if that deal gets done, might depend on just how much the Pelicans like Gary Harris. Um, he showed in the playoffs that. He can be an absolute game changer defensively. I mean, he came into that game six against Utah and absolutely changed the just whole feel of those last two games. And then it was great against Paul George in uh, the Western Conference semis too. So you know he's going to bring it defensively. But, I mean, the shooting is probably the biggest thing he needs to get back because if they run it back next season with him at the two, and I'd project Michael Porter Jr. to be the starting three next year, Gary Harris can be the fifth option in that starting lineup. They would just need him to really be like a Contavious Caldwell Pope corner shooter. Like, that's what they'll need from him next year. But, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be able to provide that just because for two years now he's, he's been a pretty poor and inconsistent three-point shooter. Yeah, I think um, that it's funny because that's what I was just about to say, that with his contract, he's essentially relegated to catch-and-shoot three guy. You know, okay, if Jamal Murray breaks down the defense and you're kicking it out to Gary Harris, that's going to be kind of his role. Um, And I guess having him on the team, you're going to want to try and build up his trade market. Um, You know, whether I don't, you know, I don't know if the offseason, if if they'll get Jeru Holiday or if that's more of a, you know, if it's more likely, I guess, during the season, who knows, right? And, And obviously COVID will impact salary cap implications as well. Uh, but we talked a little bit about Jeremy Grant before. I did definitely want to ask about him. Uh, I wanted to ask what what do you think the chances are that either or both 
Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap are back with the Nuggets next season. Uh, Grant obviously played really well. Uh, he is literally one of the, the most picture-perfect, versatile forwards that you can have in the game. can stretch the floor, too. Uh, Millsap's statistical production was, was down this year. But, you know, from everything I've read, he's very respected within the locker room, very strong veteran pre presence. Um, so what what are the chances that you think they'll be back next year with the Nuggets? Yeah, if, if I had to say, uh, I guess that both are back. And, look, coming into this season, they trade for Jeremy Grant last summer. From the onset, this always seemed to me like such a transition year at the four spot going from Paul Millsap to Jeremy Grant. And, um, like, yeah, Grant started at the three in the playoffs, but it was pretty clear by the end of the playoffs that Grant had definitely surpassed Millsap and just kind of the pecking order and the depth chart or how valuable they were to winning or whatever you want to call it. So this definitely was a handoff year between those two. So um, the Nuggets need to bring Jeremy Grant back. Like, they absolutely need to pay him. Uh, I feel like there's definitely mutual interest for both parties to come back. I mean, Grant's going to be starting at the four next season for Denver if he's back. He's going to be playing 30-plus minutes a night. Um, he's on a really good team that features him, that trusts him, that like went out into the trade market last summer and said, you're the guy we want, we believe in you. Um, so I feel like he's going to be back. The Nuggets will pay him unless like an Atlanta Hawks come in with a 20-plus you know, million dollar offer. And like at that point, yeah, you surrendered a first-round pick for this guy, but you, know, you might just have to step away. Um, and then with Millsap, yeah, like you mentioned, Jeff, uh, he's the veteran presence in the locker room. And uh, look, he'll have to take a big pay cut for sure, but he wants to win a championship. If it was up to him, he'd win a championship in Denver. I don't think he wants to necessarily jump to the Lakers and just kind of play. Ring you know, chase. Ten yeah, I don't think – I think if it was up to him, he would much rather do it in Denver and see this process through. He's got a couple young kids. He's got a house in Denver. Like, I think that stuff matters, especially with veteran guys. So I think they'll both be back. But my impression is Nuggets are very willing to pay Jeremy Grant. They recognize his worth. They recognize the value he provided them in the playoffs. And uh, when it comes to Millsap, I think, I think they'll work out something too. I hope so with Millsap. Because that game five, that third quarter in game five was one of the best moments of the playoffs. Millsap oh, yeah. going off like that, that was awesome. To see him like just have a another nice moment. But no, Millsap, or, uh, Grant feels like a, a given for them. I saw that it, it would be surprising if Grant didn't come back. He was so good for them. I don't know. Millsap, Millsap probably, uh, it feels like they should bring him back. But yeah, I... I would be surprised if they didn't bring Grant back. He was so good. But uh, as a Knicks fan, I would love if they didn't bring Jeremy Grant back. I know <laughs> we, we, would, we would both love to have him. He's yeah. a guy that Knicks fans have been very high on all year long because we have had nothing to look forward to. But well, I think you'd agents. be able to uh, outbid. Out, you could outbid the Nuggets if, if you really wanted to go all in on Jeremy. I think we definitely could. But, I, it's going to be I funny. Mean, I, I think – I. I in a weird way, I think the situation with COVID might help the Nuggets because I don't know, you know, it's going to be interesting to see first where the cap is, but how much teams are really willing to spend. Like how much, you know, unless you have a, a player that you've really, really targeted for the Knicks, there's been so much, you know, going around for Fred Van Vliet, um, yeah, Van Vliet. you know, but... I would definitely pay Jeremy Grant. Uh, he's still young. I, I would definitely give him a four-year deal. But um, that might actually help out the Nuggets because he may say to himself, listen, where else am I going to get the opportunity to compete on a consistent basis? Jokic and Murray right. are still young. Malone is a good coach. You know, I have it good here. Um, you know, it's not to say, like, would he take a discount? But, you know, I, I think – it, I think they're like you said. The best way to to put it, I think, is there's mutual interest, and I I would believe that he would want to go back. Yeah, I think he does. Like he's comfortable here. He fits in with the locker room. It's a young team with a lot of young guys. He fits in there, and um, like he had a pretty pretty uh, eye opening playoff run, at least I think. And um, 
the chance to run it back, I feel like is pretty enticing. So the really only scenario I see is like I was saying, if another team comes out, comes out of nowhere with just some crazy offer that the Nuggets can't match. And, you know, maybe I don't think they necessarily should match it. If it's like 20 plus million, like that's probably just too much for Jeremy Grant for a Nuggets team. That's going to have, have to pay Michael Porter jr. Here in a couple years too. Yeah. But one thing the Nuggets have working for in their favor on that is a majority of the teams with cap room are like, like you said before, the Hawks and the yeah. Knicks and the Pistons and the Cavs and teams like that. So I think it's going to be a hard sell for them to get to pitch Jeremy Grant to leave the Nuggets for one of those teams. But I don't know. We'll see. But I don't see it. Van, same thing with it's the same thing as Van Vliet in my yeah. Opinion. It's just going to be a hard sell. To it it is. Guys. I mean, if they want to pony up and give him the the fifth the fifth year or, or whatever it is, uh, you know, that could be it. Yeah, uh, the years. Why would Why would you want to Why would you want to leave Toronto? Um, but Harrison, another thing that I was looking at in, in preparation for the podcast that really surprised me uh, when it came to kind of like end of season accolades was the voting for executive of the year. I had looked and uh, I saw that Tim Connolly had placed ninth uh, behind OKC, Miami, Milwaukee, Toronto, Memphis, the Lakers, Dallas. Um, do you think that that was fair? I, I personally don't. And I, I think, I don't know if, um, I, I understand that the offseason chase for free agents, um, trades, that's going to play heavily in, in this type of voting. But what about putting the right guys in place for player development, which the Nuggets have been absolutely, you know, magicians with. Um, Denver's clearly done that. Um, so I guess, you know, do you think that that was fair? Um, and, and you know, what, what do you feel kind of went into that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Nuggets always get overlooked in these things. And Tim Conley has gotten overlooked in awards like this for, for a while. Um, his moves aren't the... Uh, flashiest, but you know, see, I think he's proven that sometimes the best move is no move at all. Like to be quite honest, executive of the year, like that award just really caters to teams like the LAs of the world that really just remake their roster over one off season. Right. But I mean, that's not what the nuggets have done. So I mean, yeah, Connolly was overlooked in that award for sure. But I mean, how good of a GM he's been or how good of a president of basketball ops he's been is really reflected in not just the work he did over the offseason. He did bring Jeremy Grant in for a first rounder. He did sign Jamal Murray to a max contract, with, which uh, you know a lot of people second-guessed at the time, but after that playoff run, Jamal Murray is every bit deserving of a max contract. He also got Jamal Murray on a five-year max contract, which you know puts off his free agency for another season, which is something that's overlooked as well. A lot of these max guys sign four-year deals with the fourth year, four-year in that player option. So I thought that was big as well. But what Connolly's done and why he's such a good GM is not just what he did last offseason. It's what he's done over the last three, four years. You know how he's drafted, how Nuggets have developed these guys, um, how he you know has stuck to the plan instead of you know, trading for or try to trade for, you know, an Anthony Davis when he was in New Orleans for Jamal Murray or like a Kawhi Leonard when he was getting out of San Antonio. They might have been able to have those guys if they were going apart with a Jamal Murray, per se, you know, a couple years back. Um, but they probably would have only had them for a year, you know, and uh, they wanted to set this whole thing up and build this team so they can c- contend for multiple years in a row and have a big championship window. That's not just one season. And they were going to be the third team in the Kyrie Irving trade too, for Paul George, right? They were going to get Kevin Love. I think that was the rumor something like that. Like Kyrie Irving was going to go. Yeah, that was the, uh, that was the Paul George to Cleveland. Yeah. uh, Cleveland, (laughs) Kevin Love to Denver, Gary Harris, Indiana. Six degrees of separation. Yeah, which yeah. was seemed like that trade almost happened like ten different times over yeah, there, yeah. in that one uh, off season. That was the the wild rumor that like I, I remember someone saying David Griffin was negotiating that the day he was fired or something like that. I yeah. remember that was yeah. I, Kevin Love got traded so many times I forget all the times he got traded. It was crazy. 
But the, did you read the the executive of the year thing that Brian Windhorst wrote for ESPN, basically talking about how ridiculous it is? Like Danny Ainge has never so, finished. No. Da, he's like Danny. Yeah, Danny Ainge has never finished higher than fourth in the balloting. And he wrote like Masai Ujiri didn't finish in the top three last year after he traded for Kawhi Leonard. And yeah, but it's it's what I was just saying. Like you can't judge an executive over the work he does in one off season right. or, or one season. Right. It's impossible. Um, yeah. I mean, you can for some teams, but like it, it's kind of meaningless at some point. I think it's a little, it's a little biased too. Like it, it and like he wrote in 2011, the Chicago Bulls front office got more votes than Pat Riley of the Miami oh. heat when he signed the big three. So I think there's a little bit of bias. Like you said, the Nuggets never get any recognition. Yeah. Like I think certain certain GMs are more liked by their peers. I think Lawrence Frank, who won, is a, is a guy who's generally well-liked. And like – so guys like that win it. Yeah, that's what happens. I mean honestly, like this voting was done before the playoffs. I don't have a problem with Lawrence Frank winning it. I mean he he, he, he remade yeah, yeah, he got Kawhi Leonard and and Paul George to the Clippers. Like I, I guess Kawhi Leonard he wanted to go there, but and then he traded what he needed to trade to get Paul George. Like I'm fine with him winning it. Um I feel like my vote probably would have gone to Sam Presti though. For getting yeah. that many draft picks. getting that hall. <laughs> That's quite the legendary hall. Um, oh. But Harrison, the two two things that popped up in my mind, one regarding Jamal Murray um, and the other regarding the coaching staff. So so we were talking a little bit about player development and, and obviously the, the job that Mike Malone has done is, is you know, hand in hand with what Tim Connolly has done as well. Is there anyone on that coaching staff that, you know, being around the team as much as you have that you feel really kind of puts a strong, you know, uh, imprint on, you know, just kind of like the Nugget DNA and their success this season, because we're always hearing about um, different assistants that get, you know, uh, various interviews and like who's up and coming. Is there anyone on that coaching staff that you can point to and it's kind of like, well, this this person has had a really strong effect on the, the Nuggets success so far? Well, the one guy that you guys might have heard about a little is Wes Unsell Jr., Malone's lead assistant. He's been interviewing for a couple jobs. We'll see if he gets one. But he's been the Nuggets, like, quote-unquote defensive coordinator for uh, the last several years, ever since he got here to Denver. And what's interesting is he was never, like, a defensive guy, per se, before he got here. Right. He he was just hired uh, – to Malone's staff and Michael Malone was like, so you're going to be in charge of the defense. And he was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be in charge of the defense. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, a long process because the Nuggets didn't used to play a lick of defense. <laughs> like in Jokic's first couple of years, they were one of the worst defenses in the league for like a, a two plus year stretch, but they got Paul Millsap here. They bought it on defense and it's really been a key to them, and this goes back to what I said at the top about crafting a defense around Nikola Jokic, but it's been a key to them kind of ascending up the Western Conference, their commitment to defense. And another thing is Jokic and Jamal Murray have gotten so much better defensively over the last couple of years. That's something that goes under the radar, especially with Jamal. He was great defensively in the playoffs or, or way better than he's been throughout his career. And a lot of the credit to that obviously has to go to them. But, you know, Wes Unseld's a guy just day-to-day on the practice court who's getting with those guys and just kind of hammering home uh, what they need to do to become better defenders. So I, I think he deserves a lot of credit. And then um, another assistant coach, David Adelman, who's Rick Adelman's son, uh, you know, the, the legendary NBA coach uh, who spent a lot of time in Sacramento. But – He's their quote-unquote offensive coordinator. Mm. And uh, a lot of the kind of intricate sets that they run, a lot of the imaginative stuff, you know, he's got a hand in a lot of that. So th- those are two key guys for sure. And um, uh, kind of like along that vein a little bit, really the the emergence of uh, Jamal Murray in the bubble, uh, just literally on fire, like NBA jams on fire, just really incredible with some of his play and his leadership as well. Um, was there anything prior to the NBA restart in the bubble that you saw in his play this year 
that made you feel like this was coming? Because it seemed very much like once he started, similar to Donovan Mitchell, just no one could guard him. Um, and, and he was really hitting not just um, a lot of shots, but clutch shots as well. So is there anything that you saw from the season or, or even preseason that said, you know, maybe he's ready for the next jump? I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said I, I saw this coming. I think everybody would. Um, he had some really good moments this regular season, but yeah. the thing with Jamal has always been uh, he's been inconsistent. Yeah. Like, he would go for 30-plus one night. He'd look like an all-NBA guy. He'd look like an all-star. The next night, he'd you know, go 4-15 from the field for, like, 12 points. Uh, he had a lot of those in the regular season. Um but no, I did not see this coming. Uh, definitely, I always thought he had this in him, though. Like I, I, going even going back a couple of years, I always pegged his ceiling in between Lillard and Curry, and, and this like was when Curry was at his peak. I always thought he could get to kind of a status in between Lillard and Curry, and uh, so I always thought he had this in him. Uh, he had shown flashes, uh, like he had forty eight points against Boston. A couple years ago, he had 47 against Phoenix. He would have like 30 and a half to lead the Nuggets to some ridiculous come-from-behind come win against Memphis in like the middle of January on a Tuesday night. Like he, he would have all these crazy moments, but he never put it together consistently. And that was really the next step of his game, to do it every night. And it's what he did in the playoffs, and it was just – it was crazy to watch. It, it, was, it was unreal what he did on the court and – what he did off the court as well, just like finding his voice and uh, becoming this like spokesman for the league almost in this whole social justice movement yeah. for a guy as young as him. Like that was crazy. Uh, so I, I definitely feel like this playoffs is going to be like a defining moment in his career when we look back on it years from now. Yeah, I think. Oh, it... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Chip, go, go. No, I just was going to ask if, like, do you think this has become a? Obviously, you think this has become like a turning point for him. But like you mentioned, it's uh, the knock on him has been that he's inconsistent. So I was just going to ask if you think it's sustainable that he can keep up like shooting this well when he's struggled like this. Because obviously, uh, a lot of guys have been ridiculous shooting the ball in the bubble. We saw what T.J. Warren did. Obviously, Jamal Murray on a different level than T.J. Warren. But guys have been playing out of their minds in the bubble. And Murray has never looked like this. Donovan Mitchell played at a level we had never seen before. We don't know if he's ever going to be able to look like that. So how realistic do you think it is that he's able to keep up this kind of play? And, I mean, do they need him to keep up this insane kind of play, do you think? Yeah, the shooting's interesting because watching – Jamal for the last like three years he's always he I have always thought he should be a much better shooter than his percentages ended up at at the end of the season like um shot 38 percent from three three years ago 37 percent last year he was at like 35 percent from three during the regular season he should be a much better shooter than that like um I don't know why he wasn't but I do think the bubble inflated three-point shooting percentages a bit. So I don't think he's going to be like, you know, a 43, 44, 45% guy from three, of course. But can he be a 40% three-point shooter? Yeah, I, I definitely think he can. So uh, a little bit of how he shot in the bubble, I, I definitely think is for real. And another thing I think we're going to see transfer over to the regular season is just how he took over games in the bubble. Yeah. how he would just have like that massive quarter or like a huge half or like a huge six or seven minute spurt where he just absolutely took over the game and just kind of ended things. We saw that like in the playoffs and the seeding games a little bit. So I think we're going to see that transfer over to the regular season too. It's always really interesting when you hear John Calipari talk about Murray um, and you always have to take his words with a little bit of a grain of salt because he can he can sell you anything. But uh, he will say that about Murray. He'll say, listen, we saw this, you know, but just like Devin Booker, he comes to uh, Lexington and we wanted him to play a role or, you know, we wanted him to do this and not necessarily showcase, showcase everything. But for me, like, 
Murray's, um, he's a really good driver, but shooting off the dribble, uh, and the way he does it so effortlessly to me is like one of his greatest skills. Like if I had honestly the shot that I felt like I saw him make a lot this postseason was, you know, dribbling into the paint, a turnaround fadeaway or something like that. Something that is so difficult to guard, but he hits so consistently um, and in really clutch moments. It's just a, you know, kind of another feather in the cap of player development for Denver. They've been great with it. And that's kind of another question that I wanted to ask you with their impressive track record with player development as we kind of shift gears towards the NBA draft, which will be um, happening on November 18th. Are there any prospects that you're looking at that you think the Nuggets should target? So if there's a guy that is projected to go like in the lottery and falls to 22, which I believe Denver is picking, I wouldn't be surprised if Nuggets have take take that guy because they've taken that guy before yep. in Michael Porter Jr. in Bull Bull. They're not afraid to take the like top ten guy who slips. Um, so if somebody starts falling, I could see Denver uh, pouncing on that. They're not afraid to. They know they don't need that guy to contribute immediately, whereas a lot of other teams that usually pick in their general area do so. Uh, that's a route I think Denver could go. Um, if like a uh, Devin Vassell, a Sadiq Bay, and Aaron Naismith, those kind of three wings who are all who all seem to be projected as plus three point shooters. If one of those guys uh, slips to the twenties, I-, I could see them going that direction as well. Um, but I don't think the Nuggets are afraid to kind of take a gamble. Yeah. And that's what I always come back to and what I think Nuggets fans should love about entering the draft with this front office and this team as deep as it is. The Nuggets aren't afraid to take a guy that a lot of other teams are going to pass up. And um, it's kind of like a powerful position to be in if if you're Tim Connolly. I've seen Cole Anthony like three different times for you guys. So I wouldn't be surprised. That seems like a good fit base for yeah, he's, he's been compared done. to Jamal Murray, actually. He, well, hmm. because, like you're saying, guys who could slip, and he's definitely a guy who could slip yeah. just based on what people are saying about him. That would be interesting. He's totally, like, not a Nuggets guy. No. Nah. Like, Cole Anthony, he, he's, like, a big name, you yeah. know, went to a big school, definitely doesn't fit in with the, like, the underdog mentality of the Nuggets. Um but, you know, Michael Porter didn't either uh, until he kind of slipped in the draft and got a big chip on his shoulder. So uh, you never know. And famous dad, too. He's been the biggest yeah. star for a long time. But a little bit of reality check this year. It did not go the way he thought it was going to go. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. if He could – and he could definitely slip and you guys could have a chance at him. It will be interesting to see what yeah. happens. I could see that, too. Yeah. Um, chip, anything else that you have for Harrison? Um, I thought you were going to ask him about Mello, but for sure. I, wow. I was <laughs> you know what? I try and make it, I try and make it, uh, one podcast without bringing Mello up at least. Nah, but, uh, no, nah, Chip and I are both Knicks fans. So, uh, you know, we both are big Carmelo Anthony guys as well, but that, that story is so old from a Denver, uh, standpoint that I feel like. I was just joking around. Oh, uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> I know Nuggets. There's no way Nuggets fans don't care about Carmelo Anthony, is there? It's you guys got to be moved on by now. Yeah, I mean, there's a new guy wearing number 15 now. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's worn number 15 for the last several years. Uh, I think he's Carmelo pretty good. Anthony I think he's pretty good, right? He's, yeah, he's pretty good. He'll probably get his jersey retired. Um, yeah, Nuggets fans have have been able to definitely move off of Carmelo Anthony. There's right closure now. there. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so before we let you go, you know, just uh, one thing I was going to ask you as, as a fan as well, you know, favorite Denver Nuggets memory and, and favorite uh, player of all time. Well, it's funny that you bring up Carmelo Anthony because, I mean, I was in high school, I believe in 2009. Yeah, I was in high school when they made the Western Conference Finals the last time before this year. And I mean, that's the year that like sticks out for me when I was watching this team growing up. 
uh, that, that 2009 run with Mello, with Chauncey Billups, with Kenyon Martin. Um, like, that was an awesome team that the Nuggets had. Like, that yeah. was a team that really drew me into the Nuggets originally. And it's funny because during the hiatus, um, as a company at DNVR, we did these, like, virtual watch parties where we went back and watched the 2009 playoff run on YouTube, like, with uh, our, our kind of community, the guy, people who are subscribed to our site and whatnot. And we just kind of relived that whole playoff run, uh, like, what Melo did, what Billups did, the role players. J.R. Smith was, of course, on that team, a young J.R. Smith. Um, who, who Nick fans also know, uh, but yeah, that, that that was that was fun to just kind of revisit that. But I have pretty vivid memories still of that 2019, and uh, you know some of those huge shots that Melo and Chauncey Billups hit. So is that kind of a that's a, kind of like a tandem favorite memory and a favorite favorite player as well? Favorite player from that era, I mean. Chauncey like always holds a place in the heart of like any everybody from Denver yeah. or everybody from Colorado because you know, he's from here. Uh, he's like the hometown kid. So I'd say Chauncey from from that era is the guy. I think Chauncey too is seen as kind of like uh, the missing link because it, even in um, Melo's teams in New York, everyone always felt that he needed a veteran that he respected to kind of like reel him in when he was maybe, you know, shooting teams out of games. Um, and Billups was credited with that a lot, and rightfully so. And I think he did the same thing um, even when he was traded to New York as well, for, even though he mm-hmm. wasn't there for very long. Um, but, yeah, definitely Jay Kidd did for that. Sure. Yeah, Kidd. 2012 Kidd, too. Kidd also for, uh, for Melo, too. Yeah. 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 Um, well, listen, uh, Harrison, I think that that probably wraps it up for us. Um, listen, really like to thank you a lot for coming on and talking, uh, Denver Nuggets basketball. Um, definitely, you know, eye-opening and a lot of insightful stuff for sure. Before we let you go, if you could let anyone listening know where they can find you on Twitter, um, and anything else, if there's something that you're working on right now that you want to promote, please do so for sure. Yeah, you guys can just follow me on Twitter at Harrison Wind and, uh, our site is thednvr.com, um. We cover the Nuggets religiously, obviously, but we also cover all the Denver sports as well. So make sure to check that out. Awesome, man. Thanks once again. Thanks again for coming on. And for everyone listening, hope everyone's staying safe, and we'll talk to you guys soon.